My name is Blair. Welcome to Waypoint. I'm one of the pastors here. We have a really simple mission here at Waypoint. It's to adjust people's course toward Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at a story that helps you understand why that mission is so important to us. It's kind of what we do together when we, when we gather. We look at the scriptures. And uh, what's interesting about the scriptures, I hear people say, uh, the Bible's boring. And I wonder if they really know what's in here. I wonder if they know it's poetry and poems and wisdom and metaphors and stories that God put down as truth. He inspired people to tell the scriptures this way. They could have been inspired to just write statements, statements that you would memorize, but instead there's stories that you have to look at and work to understand. And yeah, sometimes you might get into the process of that and feel confused, but I think God gets excited about that because your confusion means that you might have a conversation with him about what you see in the scriptures. And so he pulls you into that. The story we're going to talk about today, it has some confusion. The two people are kind of talking about the same thing, but about different things. And if that makes any sense, well, we'll, we'll help kind of figure that stuff out. But it turns out there's something else that's creating a distraction in this story. And we don't find out about it until deep into the story. And in order to do this right, we would almost have to read the story, hit that point, start over again with this perspective that this woman has in the story because it's shaping everything that's being said. But we don't have time for that, so here's what I want to do. I've asked the band to play a song that I think gets to the heart of how this woman in the story felt. She's carrying this into the conversation. And as you listen to this, and as we get back to the story, as you start to hear her words, as you start to see what's taking place and how this unfolds, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind because this is how she feels. Never 
eyes on me in college Blood on my hands I refuse to acknowledge That's why I get lightheaded Then I stay on tread Soft conversations Nothing my skin sweat She does it Like my list of exes I have at home She's bugging Sounding childish Like a xylophone Knees buckling Hearing that False set of that ginger tone If I introduce you to my team Just tell me Baby would you love me less And did you know the places that I've been Did you know the damage that I did? Oh, won't you love me less? No, 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 no. But would you love me less? And if I had it down for my sin? And did you know the past that I've been in? Oh, won't you love me less? No, 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 no. Would you love me? If you know the person that I was But if you knew the power of your love To change me If I introduce you to my demons Tell me, baby, would you love me less? If you know the places that I've been And if you know the damage that I did Or would you love me less? No, 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 no But would you love me less? felt that way about God. Like, he knows your dirt, knows your secrets, knows where you've been, he knows where the skeletons are, and that maybe, just maybe, because of all of that, it's a barrier between his love and you. Like, you're not really going to be loved by God like others. If, you, if you've ever felt that way, I want you to listen closely to this morning because the woman in our story has this sense about her and God's about to deal with it. And he's gonna do it through a conversation with Jesus that is so unexpected. 99.9% of the times, the question that Jesus asked will have a response to it. Um, the response would end the whole thing and it would be over. But this is going to blow up into something bigger, and I'm so grateful that it does because it's going to be about us, you and I. And he's going to deal with this question about how much God loves us and what's available for us. 
Now, as we get into this story, everything about it uh, is outrageous. It's just, it's outrageous. Uh, it's a story that's not included in the gospels to the Jewish people. They would, they would, it would have blown their minds. This, John is writing and he's writing to a group of people. But let me help you understand what's outrageous about it. It's like three different pieces that are just, it's so ridiculous. This would never happen. And yet it did. So let's start with the journey that Jesus took. The scriptures record that he's down in Judea area and that he wants to return home, Capernaum, at the top of the Sea of Galilee there. And everybody knows that if you do that, you come down off of these mountains, down by Jericho, you hit this valley and you travel right up there. Why would you do that? It's flat land and there's a river nearby if you get thirsty. Everybody took this route. There was no, the trade routes did not grow through the mountains because they were too difficult But Jesus decides he's going to head from circle to square through all of this mountainous area. Outrageous. Wouldn't have been done. The second reason that it's outrageous is because of that square area. It's Samaria. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They had a mutual dislike of each other that was at the gut level. You could call it hate if you wanted to. And so Jesus planning to go through this area would have to stop somewhere for water. Probably at a Samaritan village. Outrageous. Why would you do such a thing? Even more outrageous, what the story records is a public conversation between a man and a woman who don't know each other. I don't care what culture you're from, Samarian, Jewish, Greek, Roman, didn't matter. That wasn't done. But this, this time it is. And it's not just um, a conversation. I mean, you see Jesus talking with Mary before, right? Almost always this would have been in a private place, in a home or something like that. This is in the public square, out by the well, where everybody can watch what's going on. It's outrageous. Now, um, maybe this last piece isn't outrageous. It's just odd and it gives us a clue. The scriptures tell us that this conversation happens at noon, which is odd because there's a woman going to draw water out of a well at noon. Women did that work in the morning and the evening when it was cooler. The only person who would show up at high noon to get water was a woman who wasn't accepted at the normal times of day to do that. She would have been rejected by a bunch of people, made the way to last in line. They would have talked about her and listened to it. She didn't want to deal with any of that. So she went at a time when she didn't have to have all of that abuse. She's there at noon. So we find out all of this outrageous story being recorded. And then we see a very reasonable, normal request that Jesus makes. This is in verse 7. Will you give me a drink? They've been walking through the mountains. They're tired. He's thirsty. And hospitality rules of the day would mean that if you ask for some water, she would get some water out of the well, provide it, end of story. And that's what would happen 99.9% of the time. But she talks back. And not just a little, not just a yes. She starts a conversation. And you need to understand this. This is really important for you to get the weight of what's happening here. Everybody in their culture would have understood that what she was doing when she decided to do that 
was she's flirting. She's a forward woman. She's laying it out there in hopes that maybe something could happen. So there's some flirting going on right now. It doesn't seem like, we're going to read her words and you're going to like, I don't see any flirting. I'm just telling you, the cultures understood that this kind of public interaction was exactly that. Listen to what she says. This is verse 9. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? By the way, all the irregularities are mentioned right there. Jew, Samaritan, woman. You're talking to me. What, what's going on here? So all of this kind of gets associated right here. Don't miss that this is flirting. Jesus is about to get really serious. He's about to get really serious about what's happening here. But it's not random. He's responding to what she's done. Responding to what she said. And so he's about to get into it here. And in verse 10 says this. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, uh, I hope you see um, some stuff unfolding here. First, the reason this is going to be somewhat confusing for this lady is there is actually a specific term, living water, that they used and understood in their culture. So when Jesus uses that reference, she has this thing in her mind that's real. So most people would have gone out and got a well, which is where our story's at. They would have gone to a well for water or a cistern. You dig a dig hole or you, what did I say? You dig a big hole or a big dig, I don't know. Um, and then you put rocks in it and then you plaster it and you store all kinds of rainwater in there and that's how you survived. But living water, living water was moving water. It was rain, it was a spring, it was a creek, it was a river. And they talked about it like this. It's directly from God. It's free-flowing, it's not caged in. And so this, this moving water is a gift from God into your life. And so, so Jesus says what he says, and she's looking around going, where's the living water? Now, what's happening here? 2,000 years later, we can look back. And we understand that he's talking about her soul right now. But for her, she was focused on one thing, her thirst. She had shown up because she was thirsty. She was going to get some water. Jesus was thirsty. He was going to get some water. And that part of the physical thirst, most of us understand. We get it, right? Um, we see somebody else drinking. When we're thirsty, we want the same thing. I was I started volleyball practice again after many years of being off with it, and I knew there would be some small details I would forget. And I just thought, oh, as I, as I catch them, um, I'll just correct it. It'll be fine. I, I never imagined I would forget this. Um, Wednesday, we're an hour into our first practice. I'm running them like dogs because they got to get in shape. And at one point, one of the girls sheepishly looks at me and goes, can we get water? I forgot to have water breaks. Like, I have to write that down in my plan, otherwise I'll forget it. And so I said, yeah, go ahead and have water. And they were all over there just like downing water. It was like the best thing that ever happened to them. We know what that feels like, right? You've been parched before. And when somebody has water, you're going to ask them, where'd you get it? You're going to go buy it where they bought it. You're going to do whatever, and you're going to quench your thirst. Because we know what that's about. But Jesus starts a conversation about a different kind of thirst. He starts this conversation for this reason. 
this woman was flirting with him out in the open, which revealed a deeper need that she had in her life. And he decides to address that need. And so he starts talking about a spiritual thirst that you and I have. That's harder. When was the last time you even used the words, I'm spiritually thirsty? When was the last time you had the thought, oh, I think I might have made that choice because I'm spiritually thirsty? It, it's just not part of our vocabulary, but it's still a real thing. It's this thing that happens inside us that needs filled somehow. And this woman, she's thinking about water. Jesus is thinking about, no, a spiritual thirst. And so it's not surprising that the conversation starts with some confusion. Because in verse 11, after he says, I have this living water for you, she says, sir. It just got formal because he did, he did not flirt back. So now it's, it's more formal. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? It's a great question. Where are you going to get this? I've grown up in the area. If there were living water, I would have gone to that source. So if you know something that I don't know, you better speak up. Uh, Again, we understand why she's confused. Living water was a real thing for them. But I think there's something else that's very human about this conversation. I, I think the reality is that when it comes to filling up the spiritual hole in our lives... Often we get stuck on the physical things that we can see, that we can touch, that we can know. She knows water. She knows that has to be used. And so she's stuck there. And so I thought maybe it would be wise if we just stopped and we tried to define this spiritual hole that Jesus is talking about. What's this thirst that he cares about that he's trying to draw attention to? And I made a list of four things. I I think Jesus was talking about a sense of peace. That as you're going through your day, and it's not a perfect day, in fact, it's far from it, that still in the midst of all of that, there's a sense of peace between you and God and peace with the situation that's unfolding. And that that happens for you because of your standing with God. That you have meaning, meaning and purpose. I hear people longing for that, yearning to do something that matters with their life. And so they go out looking for it. They want some sort of meaning. I hear people talk about value too. They want to have some value. They want, they want to do something that has value in the world. And often what they're looking for is the spiritual hole that's in them that they want to fill somehow. I want to be valued by someone, by something. Then I wrote the last one. Just a general sense of fulfillment. That I got to the end of my day, and after a long day, I felt like it mattered to God, and I felt fulfilled as a person. I felt like God had used my gifts. I felt like it was excellent. And I knew, based on what had been done, that that had been a fulfilling day. Now here's what's weird. I think we all have these cravings. We all have these desires to fill these things. But we live in a world where if you look around and you watch, people are filling up on all kinds of other things to try to fill this hole. And we, we kind of watch them. 
And we think that must be the thing. If I do that, I'll feel fulfilled. I'll have a sense of peace. I'll have meaning and purpose. And so we go off to work and we work hard, not because God made us to work, but because we're trying to extract from work our sense of purpose, our sense of value. We do, we do this with shopping. If I can just go get the thing that would make me feel of value, I'll just ring it up on Amazon or I'll go to the store and I'll do that. And my shopping is the thing that allows me to be at peace because I have this thing that I, that I want, that I need. We do this with food. We do this with drink. We do this with experiences. We see what other people are doing and we just believe that if we could just have that same experience, we would be full. We would be satisfied. We'd be whole. We'd have a sense of peace. So we grab. We do this with friends. (laughs) It's gotten so weird. We do this with virtual friends. Like you don't even know them. But as long as they give you likes or they give you comments or they give you a thumbs up, you feel better about yourself. You feel like you have more value. You feel like you've accomplished something. And here's the problem with all of this physical stuff. It doesn't matter how much you get. It only satisfies temporarily. I, I stopped practice and I gave those girls a chance to drink and a half hour later they wanted to drink again. What in the world was going on? Right? It's temporary. All of it is. All of the stuff that you do to fill up those holes in your life for value and meaning and purpose, if it's an exterior thing that you think you can do to give you that, it will last for a short period of time and then you'll need more. And you'll need more. And you'll need more. Is it shocking that when you read an interview of a really, really wealthy person and they ask the question, and they always do, I don't know why, when is enough going to be enough? And that person says, just a little bit more. Why are they saying that? Because it's all temporary. It's all temporary. So Jesus understands all of this. Understands that she's stuck She's stuck thinking about the physical because honestly, when we think about the spiritual holes in our lives, almost always we go to physical things that can fill it. Let's always look there because we can touch that. We can feel it. We can understand that. She's doing the same thing and then she kind of throws open the door. She wants to know where he could get this living water. She's stuck on real water still. But then in verse 12, she opens the door. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us this well? Um, I've been in Israel. I've seen these wells. They're mind-boggling. I dropped a stone down. I don't know if I was allowed to or not, but nobody was looking, so I did it. And, um, you know, you count 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, and you know 32 seconds per second, all of that sort of thing, for the distance of a drop. Over 200 feet deep, that well. I don't know how they had the engineering to do it back then, but they dug a big hole in the sand down far enough to find water. And she said, Jacob could do that. What kind of power do you have? What's your engineering? How are you going to produce living water? Which is perfect because Jesus really wanted to have a conversation about his power. 
And so in verse 13, he gets into it. And he says what we've already been talking about. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. If it's the physical stuff that you're looking for to fill up your life, you're never going to be satisfied. Over and over and over, you're going to go to that well. But, verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why does he use the term spring of water? Because it was one of the sources of living water, freely flowing from the hand of God into your life. And his answer to her question of where do you have the power? He said, the power resides in me to supply that for you. I become your connection to God. I become the way that you end up filling up on what you need. And do you see what he says? He says it wells up to eternal life. He says, listen, what I do is this thing that happens internally in you that allows you to have harmony with God forever. That's what I'm offering. That's who I am. And that's what I'm bringing to your life. Now listen, when you see what he says here, is there any way he's talking about real water anymore? No. It's obvious. He's dealing with the spiritual connection and he's saying, I am the source. This is why, this is why Waypoint has its simple mission. If you're not connected to Jesus, your opportunity to have your life filled up because of what God does through Jesus in you goes out the window. It's why we think he's so important. He's the center. He's, he's everything. And he just looked at this woman and said, it's me. What I can give you is a connection with God that will last forever, that will allow God's love, God's connection to flow freely into you at the internal parts of who you are. It's incredible. She's going to get it, right? Because he said it directly. Verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I won't give thirsty. And you're like, all right. She's on it. She's got this. And then she says, and have to keep coming here to draw water. Come on now. Clearly, Jesus was not talking about physical water anymore. So why in the world is she doing this? Why in the world is she having this discussion? Why is she stuck? I want to suggest to you that the song that you heard at the top, the baggage, the skeletons that she was carrying, caused her to get to this place where she knew exactly what he was talking about and she decided to dodge because she wasn't sure if this God that he was talking about would be capable of loving somebody like her. But she was so afraid to let her baggage out, she decided to play it dumb. She asked for Jesus' power. He's about to show her. Verse 16. He hears her response and he goes right to this. Go call your husband and come back. (laughs) She had to be thinking, that was close. He almost got my skeletons out in the open, but I think I can dodge this. I got this handled. I'm going to give him this response. 
I have no husband in verse 17. Perfect, right? And Jesus agrees at the end of 17. You're right, you have no husband. Instead, he says this in verse 18. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I wonder how long it was silent before anybody said anything. Right? That, her gut had to drop. She had to feel exposed. How in the world does he know this? What am I going to do with the fact that he knows this? And then there had to be this moment. This light had to flash. And he had, she had to think, wait. How is it that he knows this about me? knows all my baggage, knows my skeletons, and still has the audacity to offer me eternal life. How? How is it even possible? Because I know my skeletons, I know the junk, and he knows my junk, but he was still offering me hope. How? How could this be? And in verses 19 and 20, we finally start to get Genuine, honest communication. Verse 19, she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Ding, 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 more than that. He's more than a prophet, but you're starting to get it. And then she says this in verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Finally, we're getting to it. I... Do you know what she just said here? I can't find God. We Samaritans, we have rituals that we follow. You Jews, you have rituals that you follow. I'm not, I'm not capable of accomplishing either one. I'm not even sure either group would accept me. You know my baggage. So what is a person like me supposed to do? You have all of these different rules. How am I supposed to figure out how to connect with God? It's not possible for a person like me. I'm on the out and I know it. I can't find God. Even if I wanted to, I'm not sure how I would go about doing this. And Jesus starts having an honest conversation with her now that she's been honest. He's just going to get direct. He's going to start talking about what it means to be a worshiper of God. What God really cares about. And they're having, a, they're having a great conversation. Verse 24, he says this. He sums this stuff up that he's been saying. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Just looked at this woman and says, listen, all the rituals that you can't meet that you can't satisfy. You're not going to make any of these people happy. None of that's important. What's important is what happens on the inside of who you are. And I just offered a solution for that. I offered to become the thing on the inside of you that gave you a connection to God. I'm the answer to what you need. And it's not just that it happens in your spirit, but when it starts to connect with you at the core of who you are, it will begin to impact the way you choose to live. It's spirit and truth. It, this is about how you're living right now. And you do have some impact on that. Uh, she gets it. The scriptures record that this woman 
goes into her village and convinces people to come out and speak with Jesus. No small task for a reject, an outcast of their culture. Somehow she was persuasive enough to say, you have to meet this person. You have to come and talk to him. But there's a throwaway section. I don't think it's throwaway. I love it. It's in verse 28. There's a little phrase that's included in the scriptures that I think is a big deal. It says, she left her water jug at the well when she chose to go do this. In terms of a metaphor, she finally, it like dawned on her, click, this won't satisfy only Jesus. I'm leaving this at the well. Now, will she need to drink again? She will, but it won't be the thing that satisfies her. Will you need to work again? Yes, you will, but it won't be the thing that satisfies you. You make a decision that I'm going to leave that thing that I've been counting on, I've been drawing, 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 trying to fill myself up. I'm leaving it at the well. And Jesus is going to be the thing that I draw on from now on. And he is going to be my source. My source for meaning. My source for peace. My source for value. See, I'm convinced that because we live in a culture that's been trying to fill these spiritual holes with so many other things, we've kind of gotten, we've kind of gotten suckered into watching how people have done it and assume that that must be the right way. And some of us have been chasing that our whole lives. We just, maybe the answer's in status. If I just have more status, I have more money. If I have more stuff, if I have more, and you have been on a carousel of more and you're getting tired And maybe even you're at a point where you've stacked up enough baggage that you actually believe that God couldn't love you where you're at. That God couldn't take the baggage, the skeletons that you have and do anything with that. And it's not true. He knew everything about her past and offered himself as her hope. And it will be your only hope too because all these physical things that we chase, I've done it, I've been, been on the train, like I've, done, I've done the money search, thought that would satisfy, if I just had more, that would be enough. Like I, and I was following Jesus. By the way, this is what happens. Even some of us who are followers of Jesus, we made a decision a long time ago. We get distracted by what we've seen going on around us and we've concluded That if we could just have that, that would satisfy. That would really make it for our lives. And so we pursue stuff, relationships, food, money, experiences, you name it. In a hope that that thing that we have at the core of us will sometime feel full and satisfied. And you miss that you you had the source of that close to your heart all the time and you gave it up for this substitute. I've done it. And the question is this morning, what are you trying to fill up your life with? Is it physical stuff? See, this woman had an emotional need. It was to be loved. And she had gone out 
And she had gone through five husbands. She had one at home. How was it working for her? She was flirting at a stranger at a well. It wasn't going to ever be enough. And the source that she needed to be loved was Jesus. And I don't, don't know what you're trying to fill up. I don't know the hole that you're dealing with right now. But you're a spiritual being. We all are. And if you haven't been careful, you've been filling up with the wrong thing. And it's going to take you to a place where you're never satisfied. And you're going to get to a place where you're so frustrated, so upset. That you're going to wonder what's the point of all of this. And we're watching it more and more in our culture. People getting to a point of desperation. They've chosen the wrong source to fill up their life. Now I'm wondering what source you've chosen. Can we just do this right now? Could you, could you just quietly bow your head for a second? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to just to keep them bowed and to be quiet for a little bit. And I'm going to give you like 30 seconds of just quiet time. I, I just want you to ask the question, what have I been filling up on? What have I thought would satisfy, fulfill my life, give me purpose, give me meaning. And let the Holy Spirit reveal some stuff to you. I want to ask you to keep your heads down. But if the answer that came back to you today was that I've been filling up on anything and everything but Jesus, and you've, nev- you've never made a decision to be a follower of his, you've been trying to fill up on something else. Maybe it's time that you decided to go to the only source that will ever satisfy you, the only source where you'll have love freely poured into you, the only source that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning, the only source that offers you peace. If that's what you want, I'm gonna ask you to make that decision right here, right now. I want that connection with Jesus that well inside of my heart that I can go to to draw from. I want that. If you made that decision right now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna, everybody else, just keep your heads down still. But if you made that decision this morning, I'm gonna ask you just to pick your head up and look at me. Just make sure that our eyes meet. Yeah, I got you. Thanks. And then put your head back down. Good, thank you. I just want to agree with you that you're making the right choice. Making the only choice that offers hope and meaning. Yep. 
our crowd's big enough. I'm, I'm convinced that there are those of you who have followed Jesus for a while, but you've been distracted. Something caught your eye. And you started trying to fill up with the wrong thing. And the Holy Spirit was kind enough to convict you of that right now. I'm going to ask you to just make a commitment to God that you're going to start leaving your jar at the well. And he's going to be the source that you go to to fill up that hole in your life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to, again, make eye contact with me. Just say, yeah, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. I got you. Thanks. Just put a flag down. It's going to be different going forward. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. I got you. God, I thank you for the honesty in the room. I think people were genuinely opening their hearts and examining it and saying, what am I doing? And some of them found some things that they were surprised by. I just asked that they would understand you love them. This woman at the well couldn't comprehend that a God could love her because everything that she had seen suggested that she was too far gone, too far out of it. But we're never too far from your love. Never too far from you being the source that actually fills us, actually makes us whole. God, I ask that we be a community who keeps putting you in the right place in our lives and that because of that, source of peace, a source of meaning, a source of value and fulfillment will be found in our lives. It's Jesus. As you would keep drawing people to you, love that you were doing a work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Just going to ask you, if you raised your eyes and looked at me, Find somebody that you love, somebody who loves you, and tell them you made this commitment, that you made a decision today so that you can cement that with somebody who cares about you who will walk alongside you. Guys.